Hey folks, Andy Patton here. No game tonight thanks to COVID. So instead of previewing the Toreros of San Diego, we are doing a full three-segment version of Andy Locks where I grade listener-submitted hot takes all episode long, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. All right. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast or this YouTube video your first listen or watch of the day. Again, I really appreciate those of you who take the time to listen to the show. If you have not hit that subscribe button on YouTube yet, please do so. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Zags. You'll see it there. Hit that big blue subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. All right. Like I said at the beginning, today is Andy Locks. I was thinking we would preview San Diego first and then take some hot takes. But unfortunately, because of COVID, because of the positive tests in the San Diego Toreros program, there is not going to be a game tonight. Hopefully it's not something we see too many more times this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if more Gonzaga games are impacted. The women's basketball program is on a COVID pause of their own as well. So two games supposed to happen tonight for the men's and the women's programs. Neither of them are occurring. Again, we can kind of just hope that the NCAA either changes some of their policies or the we the Zags are able to be fortunate and not face too many more of these issues. So for today, instead, we're doing Andy Locks like we normally do. Got plenty of takes to discuss. This first one comes from John via Gmail. He says, with the way good teams have figured out how to defend Gonzaga, the inconsistent three-point and free-throw shooting, Gonzaga will only get as far as the Sweet 16, but no further. I hope I'm wrong because I love the Zags, but this team seems to lack identity and something seems off. You're not alone in thinking that, John. I think the holidays sometimes bring out some, <laughs> so, so a little bit of melancholy, perhaps, in people. As S underscore DeWitt11 on Twitter, that's Stephen DeWitt, said, Unpopular opinion, and I hate to say it, but we will get bumped out in the Sweet 16. So I'm not really sure. So I think this is too hot. I, I, I want to be clear. It, it's by no means crazy to think Gonzaga could lose in the Sweet 16. Every single team in the NCAA is capable of losing in the Sweet 16. It's not necessarily a reflection of that team's regular season accomplishments. The NCAA tournament is wild, and teams lose all the times. We've seen 15s upset twos. It doesn't mean that that 15 seed was better, etc., so on and so forth. You guys all know Gonzaga's been in 20-something March Madnesses in a row. We know how this thing shakes out. But I don't think that looking at what has happened to Gonzaga so far this season gives me any reason to think that this is a team that isn't capable of advancing beyond the Sweet 16. Like I said, they're capable of losing, which is why I can't say that this is like a nuclear take. I think it's a little too hot, but I don't think it's I don't think at any point in a season it's crazy to think a team might lose in the Sweet 16 because great teams lose in the Sweet 16 all the time. But this team, the kind of team that Gonzaga would play in the Sweet 16 is a borderline top 25 caliber team. We haven't seen them against St. Mary's, San Francisco, BYU. Those are teams that 
I, I don't think they'll get that four or five seed. That would be pretty high for any of those teams. But teams like Texas Tech. Texas Tech is probably a team that's going to be on the four or five line. That's who, in theory, Gonzaga as a one or a two seed would run into in the Sweet 16 matchup. Gonzaga handled Texas Tech pretty easily. They looked top to bottom like a better basketball team. The two teams that Gonzaga has lost to are teams that, barring a very, very strange decision by the NCAA Tournament Committee, are not going to be teams that Gonzaga faces in the Sweet 16. Duke is probably going to be a one seed. Alabama is trending towards being a two or at worst a three seed. They are teams Gonzaga could in theory face in the Elite Eight or Final Four, but probably not teams they'd face in the Sweet 16. Yes, we had the struggle game against Tarleton State. Yes, there's been other moments where Gonzaga has looked much less accomplished as last year's team. I don't think this team is as good as last year's team. They certainly haven't gelled as quickly, but I think that's the biggest thing that this team is not getting worse. They're getting better. They have a really young team top to bottom. I mean, obviously they have some experience in Drew Timmy and Andrew Nemhard and Rasir Bolton, but this is a young team that is still figuring out their identity. John mentioned they lack identity. For now, maybe, I don't think they completely lack identity. I think that's a little bit too dramatic of a way to describe this team so far. They clearly have two elite scoring post players. They're great defensively around the rim. They, they have an identity. It's just not the identity that we're used to. And they've kind of ebbed and flowed in, in showing that identity. We saw them be a three-point shooting team, which was unexpected. We've seen them be a you know back-to-the-basket low post scoring team, which was more expected. But I think they're just young. I think their identity is just a young team that hasn't gelled yet. Mark View has continued to say that this team is going to get better. I believe him. I believe him that many of these players, Hunter Salas is a very notable example of that. They're going to get better. They're going to continue to learn and grow and evolve and adapt to the college basketball game. I think this is a team that's getting better. I don't think there are teams that Gonzaga is going to face in the Sweet 16 that are better than this team and that can beat this team. Anything can happen. So I don't want to say that any kind of take like this is like obscene or anything like that, because I don't think that it is expecting a team to lose in the Sweet 16 or believing a team might lose in the Sweet 16 is maybe a better way to say it is is never inconceivable. Last year's team was probably as close to Gonzaga as ever going to get as a team that it seemed like it would have been crazy to imagine them losing in the Sweet 16. This year's team, it's much less crazy to think that could happen, but I don't think they have played their best basketball yet. And I think challenging themselves by playing Duke and Alabama and Texas and UCLA and Texas Tech in the non-conference is only going to make them better when March rolls around. Next one is another one from John. He says, Drew Timmy will not even be a second team All-American. This is too hot. I don't know who you would put on those teams over him. <laughs> like, I, I don't know which players would necessarily be in those spots. Um, Drew Timmy is maybe not quite as good as he was last year, although I, I don't think that he has really struggled as much as maybe some people have have made it seem. Uh, most player raiders, I'm specifically talking about Evan Miyawa's player ranking, excuse me for pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, they have him as one of the five best players in the country. Uh, he's averaging 17 points, six rebounds. He's shooting 61% from the field, just about two assists a game. His defensive rating has improved dramatically. He was, uh, per 100 possessions, he was averaging 94.7 last year, which is okay, but not great. This year, that's down to 89.2. That means that he's giving up about five less points per 100 possessions. Doesn't seem like a huge difference. It's a pretty significant difference. He has worked very hard to improve who he is defensively. I also don't want to pretend that the people who vote on the All-American are using defensive rating as a significant barometer. 
what they are using a lot of the time is how successful the team that the player is on is and how much name recognition and kind of just notoriety the player has. Both of those things are tremendously in Drew Timmy's favor. I would be surprised if he fell below second team, even if you could make an argument that he doesn't deserve to be on the top two teams. If somebody out there wanted to say at the end of the year that, hey, these players maybe deserve it more. I think that could definitely happen. But Drew Timmy is such a recognizable figure in college basketball. He's one of the most well-known players in the sport right now. And as long as he averages somewhere close to what he's averaged this season, 17.6 boards, again, continues to shoot over 60% from the field, I would be very, very surprised if he doesn't make at least the second team, potentially the first team. This next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, our Zags finish with the fewest losses in the country entering March Madness. All right, now we're, we're, we're swinging back to positive. I don't mind the negative ones. Sometimes, sometimes we got to be a little bit negative and we got to be critical of this team. So I appreciate that. I appreciate those takes, but it's kind of fun to talk about the positive ones too. So uh, Zags finish with the fewest losses in the country. Uh, I think this is just right. I, I do think it's possible. I also still think it's kind of unlikely. Right now, the Zags, of course, have two losses. I think the Zags lose at least one more time. I think it's pretty possible, I don't want to say likely, but maybe likely that they lose two more times. If the Zags lose four games before March, they will not finish the, the they will not be the leader in the country in losses. Four losses is not going to get that done. You're talking about Purdue, Duke, UCLA, Kansas. They all have one loss. Most of those teams are going to lose at least one, two more games, but I don't think all of those teams are going to have four or more losses. Baylor, USC, Iowa State, they all have zero losses. Again, teams that are probably going to lose more games, but if Gonzaga loses four losses, it doesn't happen. If they have three losses, maybe they're tied for the fewest losses in the country. I could see that being the case, which is why I think this is just right. But again, I don't think it's crazy to think that the Zags lose two more games this season either. And this last one for segment one also comes from Christian. He says, eight to one is the right price for the Zags to win it all. And he says, note, some experts in stat sites have the Zags at around 17% probability to win. I'm asking for a friend who would use the money for a new entryway flooring. So I'm not really a gambling expert. Uh, I haven't really paid attention to what specific odds is when you should start actually deciding to put your money on things. Eight to one doesn't feel awful. It feels pretty solid, actually. I'd probably want better odds, like 12 to one or 15 to one. If I saw Gonzaga at 15 to one, I'd probably smash the button to, to put a put some money down on that. 12 to one, I might. Eight to one, I think, is, is pretty reasonable. It's a pretty good line, I suppose, which is maybe why I wouldn't be super keen to drop money on it necessarily. But again, I don't think it's 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 far from terrible. It's not two to one, which would be wild. And it's not 50 to one, in which case everybody and their mother should be putting money on it. All right. Segment one talked about some zags and t took some listener submitted hot takes. Now we're going to do the same exact thing in segment two. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, NetSuite. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite allows you autom 
excuse me, NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. Head to netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked on Zag, still grading listeners submitted hot takes for our Thursday Andy Locks segment. This first one comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, seems like not a real deep lead guard draft. So Nolan Hickman finishes strong off the bench, maybe has a flashy tourney, uh, NCAA tournament performance and pulls a Zach Collins and leaves after this year. And he gets drafted in either the late first or a guaranteed second round deal. He says, I really hope this is wrong. I think this is just right. I think it's very possible. I think it's something that hasn't been discussed a ton yet this year. It's still pretty early in the season. Again, we haven't even gotten into WCC play. So looking at the draft boards is maybe not something that a ton of people have done yet. And I know that the kind of the general expectation is that, hey, Gonzaga is going to go into next season with Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas and Dominic Harris, and they're going to have this really good group of guards. And they are if Nolan Hickman sticks around, but I, I do not think that it is guaranteed that Nolan Hickman is going to be back next year. This is a young man who was, you know, a top 25 cl- uh, player in his class. He decommitted from Kentucky to come to Gonzaga. He has a lot of pedigree around him. ESPN's mock drafts have consistently had him in the first round, even bef- before he even played a game in a Gonzaga uniform. They had him as a first round pick. Now, if you look at most of the mock drafts, he's still on there. That hasn't really changed. I've seen mocks from other sites that have him in the second round. It's it's more rare at this point to see him not on a draft board than it is to see him in the first round or in the second round. So I definitely think this is possible. The way he has played recently, his continued improvements, uh, the fact that he is so poised and takes good care of the basketball, doesn't turn it over. If we see a more consistent outside shot, which has started to come around as well, and he has one or two really eye-popping games in the NCAA tournament, yeah, it would not surprise me at all if he leaves. Next one comes from Mac Train on Twitter. He says, starting lineup next season will have Drew Timmy in it, and all of college basketball will, ap- will apply a Christian Leitner-type comparison all season long. I also think this is just right. I definitely think there is a chance this happens. If this team disappoints, which frankly a disappointment is not winning the NCAA tournament, or if, as we discussed in the first segment, if they don't make it through the Sweet 16, I could see Drew wanting to come back, give it another shot, try to win it all again. However, if something like what we just discussed, Nolan Hickman leaves, and we know Rasir Bolton's going to leave, if Andrew Nembhard leaves, Chet Holmgren leaves, and Drew's kind of looking around at the roster and sees that like, hey, next year's roster is probably not going to be as good as this year's roster and probably not going to be as good as last year's roster. That could actually encourage him to leave. He might not want to come back to a team that isn't quite as established. This is why it is crucial. There's a lot of reasons why, but it is crucial that Gonzaga figures out a way to improve their 2020-2022, try saying that five times fast, trying to improve, improve that recruiting class. Because right now, 
that class only has one player in Braden Huff. And if they don't look like they're improving that class or they're not really active on the transfer market, which I expect that they will be, Drew may, that may make his decision easier to go get money, play in the NBA, start his professional career, which who, who could possibly blame him for wanting to do that? But I also don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone. I could see him being a four-year guy, coming back, being the Christian Leitner of college basketball. But Gonzaga needs to convince him they want to put another championship-caliber roster around him. And right now, with a limited recruiting class and a lot of players who could be leaving early for the draft, that may not be a guaranteed thing. This next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, the Zags' closest games come at USF and BYU, but they do not lose in WCC play. Yeah, I think this is right on the border between just right and too hot. I mentioned earlier in the show that I think one loss is likely and two losses is very possible. I also don't think that at USF and at BYU are necessarily Gonzaga's two toughest games in conference play. I think at St. Mary's is probably their either toughest or second toughest. This is a BYU team that is really, really hurting for size. Gavin Baxter's season-ending injury is a death blow for the Cougars this year. And they're also out Richard Harward. Two of their biggest players, big, big bangers down low, are both out right now indefinitely. Baxter, we know he's out for the rest of the year. I don't think BYU matches up particularly well with Gonzaga at all. And I don't I don't want to say it's going to be easy because Mark Pope's the good coach and it's never easy to win at the Marriott Center. It has almost never been easy for Gonzaga to do that. But this is not a team that matches up particularly well with Gonzaga. Whereas Randy Bennett has a very experienced team, two really talented big men in Dan Foto and Matthias Toss. And talented guard play. Tommy Cousy's been playing very well since he started coming off the bench. Logan Johnson's extremely good as well. This is a good team, a balanced team. They play this really archaic, slow, plodding pace that has worked against Gonzaga effectively in the past. I think at St. Mary's is going to be a tougher game than at BYU. But also, it wouldn't stun me if Gonzaga doesn't lose a single game in WCC play and just waltzes their way into March with only two losses. And finally, this last question in segment two comes from John. He says, currently there are four players averaging double digits on this roster. During conference, Gonzaga will add a fifth player who will average double digits during those games. Yeah, I think this is just right. I definitely think this could happen. Of course, Gonzaga's four players averaging over 10 per game are Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Rasir Bolton, and Julian Strother. Andrew Nembhard is next at 8.5. Nolan Hickman is after that at 7.2. Wouldn't surprise me to see either of those players average 10 or more per game in conference. Of course, if they're scoring more points, then other players are scoring less points most likely, so it's possible we see Bolton or Strother drop below 10 per game. But I don't think it's crazy to think Gonzaga has five guys averaging more than 10 points per game throughout the conference slate. All right, two segments down, one more to go, discussing more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online, Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three. Still, Eddie Patton still locked on Zags. We're talking 
Zags in the NBA a little bit, and we're talking Lady Zags here in the third segment to answer more listener-submitted hot takes and discuss how likely these things are to happen. This first one comes from Dustin via Gmail. He says, with Darius Garland and COVID protocols and Ricky Rubio out for the year, Kevin Pangos averages 10 and 5 for the rest of the season. I'm going to assume 5 assists because 5 rebounds is very, very unlikely. I love the enthusiasm. This is probably too hot. Uh, Again, Darius Garland is in COVID protocols, but he is going to be back. So once he is back, that puts Kevin into a backup role. Really, really uh, disappointing that Ricky Rubio got hurt uh, for him personally. A player who was having an extremely good season is now undergoing his second ACL surgery. Just a bummer. You never want to see guys get hurt like that. It's, It's good news for Kevin Pangos in a sense that he now gets an opportunity to play more minutes. He has not been playing much this year. He's playing just under six minutes per game. Looking at the math per 36, which is NBA stats per 36 minutes per game, he's averaging 10 points and seven assists. So 10 and five wouldn't be crazy if he was playing 36 minutes a night. He's not going to play 36 minutes a night, even with both Garland and Rubio out. I think those games, when that happens, Pangos might play closer to 30 minutes per night. But once Garland's back, he's going to be playing 20, 25, maybe minutes per night, which is great. That's great. That's a that's way more than he was playing before. And if he's playing 25 minutes per night, that is a huge win for him. It's a great story for the Zags, obviously. I don't think he's going to average 10 and 5. I do think that we haven't seen him reach his potential at especially as a shooter. He's only shooting 31.3% from three. He's only shooting 36.4% in total, which means he's not finishing well around the rim. I, <laughs> The Kevin Payne goes, I remember was pretty darn good at finishing around the rim. I'm guessing that he is going to get better at that as he just gets more comfortable with the NBA game. So he's going to probably see his percentages up in both the three-point shooting and the field goal shooting. His minutes are going to come up. His numbers are going to improve, but I don't think that we're going to quite get to the 10-5 and five for the rest of the season unless something happens to Darius Garland, which... Nobody wants that. I hope he doesn't get hurt. And if it does, I'm sure that Cleveland will go find other guards to help replenish some of those minutes. But I'm excited that we're going to see more of Kevin Pangos for the rest of the season. All right, this next one comes from Christian. These next three, in fact, all come all come from Christian as they are all about the women's basketball program. And I wanted to end talking about them. The first one, the ladies' Zags are a sweet 16 team. I think this is a little too hot. Uh, it's definitely possible. One thing that we have seen with Coach Lisa Fortier's teams in the past is that they seem to really peak at the right time, a lot of winning streaks going into March, a lot of winning streaks in like all the way into the NCAA tournament towards the end of the year. Uh, she's obviously a fantastic coach. This is a very talented team. So getting them to be perfectly gelling at the right time in March is definitely possible for this squad. But uh, they've we've seen them drop some pretty ugly games. They lost to UC Davis. We saw a two-point loss to Washington State. They're just a little vulnerable. I just don't think this is quite as good of a roster uh, that we've seen Coach Fortier have in the past when they had you know Laura Stockton and Zakira Rice and some of those other really talented players. I wouldn't be shocked. I definitely think this team is capable of being a Sweet 16 team, but I wouldn't be banking on it either. Next one, the Lady Zags lose three games in WCC play. Yeah, so BYU is the, the trickiest part here. BYU is a top 20 team in the country. They're really, really good. Gonzaga is going to have to fight really hard to win one of those games. They could win both. I don't want to pretend that it's impossible that they could win both of these games. They definitely could. But I think you're probably at least taking a loss there and potentially taking two. Portland is 10-2. and two. I, They haven't played a lot of great teams, and I think Gonzaga can probably beat them twice. But that's, for, that's not a for-sure victory there either. Uh, USD and Santa Clara are both really good teams as well. Both have... 
uh, substantially overwinning records. I think three is about right. So I'm going to say that this is just right, but I would not surprise me if it was a little higher. They lose four games, maybe even five games. But it also, you know, this team, again, we've talked about it with 40. They go on runs. It's happened before. They have two really talented guards in the Trong Twins. Melody Kempton is excellent. They have a really talented team. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're, I think they're going to be in the two to four loss range. So three feels about right. And then finally, the last question of the show, speaking of Melody Kempton, again from Christian, he says, Melody Kempton is the WCC player of the year. Yeah, this is too hot. I think that this award very likely is going to go to Shaylee Gonzalez from BYU, who is currently averaging 19.1 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 3.5 assists per game. Uh, Another contender is Alex Fowler at the University of Portland. She's averaging 16.5 points and 8 rebounds per game. Kempton statistically is just not there. She's averaging 11 points and 5 rebounds per game. She's third on the roster in scoring behind both the Trong Twins. This women's basketball team is so balanced. This is probably their biggest calling card as a team this season is a tremendous amount of balance as scorers. Anybody can go off any night. It's hard to game plan against them. We talked about this with the men's program in particular against North Alabama when they had seven players basically score between eight and 15 points in that game, which is excellent. I like seeing that kind of basketball because it makes it, like I said, harder to game plan. It means that you can adjust on the fly of like, hey, this isn't working. Let's try this so-and-so. And Coach Fortier is a great coach. And with the Trong Twins and with Kempton, like this team is difficult to game plan for. But it also makes it harder to win individual awards because any player can go off on any night. And I think for the ladies' eggs, Kempton is going to have some games where she looks like the best player in the conference. She's also going to have some games where she maybe only scores six or eight points because the Trong Twins went off. And that's fine. As long as it leads to victories, I'm sure that everybody's going to be fine. But I would be surprised if it leads to Kempton winning the WCC Player of the Year. All right, we are going to preview LMU on Friday's episode before the first game of conference play on Saturday evening, so stay tuned for that to finish out the week right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Of course, available wherever you get your podcasts and available now on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!